Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode, we're going to focus on being where your feet are and joining us to talk about his journey through football and some of the things that he's learned along the way is the offensive coordinator, tight ends coach at Eastern Illinois, Coach John Kuzieski. Coach Kuz, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure and love what you're, love what you're doing on a weekly basis. Well, I'll tell you, I, I loved watching uh, your clinic the other day on uh, the Illinois High School Football Coaches Association clinic talking about you know uh, basically a, a package from squeeze formations and, and I love that stuff I know that's something um, I believe eventually will be up here on on coach tube so we'll make sure when it is we'll share that with our listeners but uh, coach you know want to talk a little bit before we get into some of the the main topics we're getting into today just your start in this profession and you know, at what point was it that uh, you wanted to become a football coach? Yeah, and, and I think that it started at a really, really young age for me. I was lucky enough to have uh, my father as a high school coach, uh, head coach at Libertyville High School. He was there for 34 years, 18 as the head coach, a, a Hall of Fame career. And luckily for me, I was able to start learning how to watch film at a really, really young age and, and was just inundated with going to practice and then eventually playing for him and then you know, went to college, um, a little bit different path than most. I didn't play in college. Um, you know, I was, I was basically a, a D3 athlete with D1, D1 vision and actually had too many head injuries to be able to play in college. And so I decided to kind of pursue a, a different route and, and go and, and work uh, with a team in college. Or, or initially, just starting out anyway could help in the equipment room. And eventually, as an undergrad, you know, running the scout team uh, at Penn State and as I got toward my senior year, um, you know, my whole life people had told me, oh, you're going to be a coach, you're going to be a coach, you're going to be a coach. Well, in my own head, I thought I was going to study business or law and make a bunch of money because, you know, I just I didn't see that for myself yet. And by the time, you know, I got through my four years uh, at Penn State, towards the end of it, you know, you finally had that self-discovery for your own self and, and said, you know, what? why am I looking to go to law school or, or study finance when coaching is all I, I really care about? And to be able to have that a little epiphany there my senior year, that's kind of what I pursued and, and, and went from, you know, going to Penn State to, to starting as a volunteer at Northwestern University, work, working my way into a GA role. And, and I've been a, a bunch of places since, 
since then, but, but really it was that aha moment was kind of choosing between law school and, and coaching. And, and I knew that the path in coaching was going to be a hard one. I knew that I'd have to work for, for free or no money. And uh, ultimately I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. Uh, and I think that was probably ingrained at me at a younger age than I wanted to say. And the reason everyone always told me I was going to be a coach, but I had to kind of discover that for myself uh, through my own journey. In, in rolling down the list of places in your stops so far along the way, uh, some some pretty impressive people who you've been able to uh, learn from. If you, you look back at even those early years, you know, you were at Penn State and Coach Paterno was there. And, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Northwestern, of course, Coach Fitzgerald. Uh, but just really, I think you've had some great mentorship along the way. And you know, what are some of those those takeaways you, you've had here, you know, over the years, and you're really, I mean, you're early in your career still, but um, man, I, I think you've definitely been associated with some greatness along the way so far. What have you learned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it started at Penn State, and I know obviously that different things went down there, and, and the career maybe, maybe didn't end the way that a lot of people saw it for Coach Paterno. But what I did learn at a young age, uh, at least from Penn State, was the fact that he, he the, the culture there, you know, as far as, as eating breakfast and mandatory class and being early it, it was all it was you know 40 years in the making and it just kind of it was so a part of you know who they who who we were in our dna right and you know just because it was preached so much and and i go from there the oldest head coach in college football at the time uh, one of the youngest and pat fitzgerald and i really got a, a completely different look at it right and coach fitz is a detail-oriented person as anybody, but he had this energy that it was just something I wasn't used to, right? The way that practices ran were fast-paced. There was no time wasted. Everything was about having high energy and doing that for the players. And I think that was an awesome to be able to go from, from one program to the next early in my career. You know, from there, I went to Western Michigan and had a chance to just a small stop uh, with Coach Fleck, and, and, and what I learned from him was just kind of that relentless mentality in recruiting and how he approaches recruiting on an everyday basis. And then spent, uh, you know, really the majority of my young career with Coach Campbell uh, at the University of Toledo and then going to Iowa State. And, and I learned a couple, I mean, I learned a million things from him, but the two, the two biggest takeaways, um, number one is something that is positive and it's, you know, he always used to say, it's the Theodore Roosevelt quote, that kids don't know how much you know until they, they know how much you care. And I think that that was the basis by which he lives his life every single day about pouring into the, the kids in the program where he is and, and not necessarily just the X's and O's, but really caring for the people that are there and showing them how much you care and trying to make them better men. And I think that was the positive I learned. The negative I learned uh, as a young coach was um, – just to do your job to the best of your ability all the time. And, and as a young coach, you know, we had some turnover on the staff and, and I thought, Oh man, I'm going to have an opportunity here to get on the field because I was working in an off the field recruiting coordinator role. And I just thought, Oh yeah, this is how it works, man. You put a couple of years in and, and somebody leaves and then you get promoted. And, and it wasn't the case. And, and I was pissed about it early in my career. I was mad about it. And coach Campbell and I had a, a very honest discussion, which, he told me, you know, you just got to do the, the best dang job at what you're doing. That's the only way I'll ever move you into a different role is if you're just doing the best job ever. And I think at the time I was probably trying to do somebody else's job or trying too much to look to for the next job than actually do what I was asked to do on any given day. And I think 
that lesson, although it was really hard and it was a difficult time in my young career, was the greatest lesson I've learned to date and kind of changed the perspective for me and that trajectory in my future based on that conversation and and had an opportunity to go from there to, to Cornell University in a role. I finally got on the football field to, to coach a position, which was my goal, and, and had the great experience at Cornell, um, you know, first with the running backs and the offensive line, and then obviously had a chance to come here to Eastern Illinois and work for one of my greatest friends and greatest mentors in this, in this business, Adam Cushing, uh, and finally get a chance to call plays on my own and, and kind of live that dream that I was, I was thinking about maybe, maybe a little bit too soon, um, but I was thinking about years ago. You know, Coach, I, it, it brought up some memories for me and, you know, thinking about that. When, when you take that approach and you quit worrying about what's next and, and you know, at the, at the college level, it's, and I've been with some of these guys, you know, even, even at the D3 level this time of year, getting tied up in scoop and, and uh, you know, trying to look for that next – big jump. I mean, I think in, in, in business, it's like the equivalent of, of trying to become a millionaire overnight. Like that just doesn't happen. When you take the approach though, that with whatever role I'm given, wherever I'm at, I am just going to attack this and uh, do the absolute best I can. It, it kind of in some ways takes the, the pressure off of you. I see so many guys, you know, in, in Facebook groups or on Twitter and you know, I want to be this, this is my goal. What do I need to do? Who has these openings in, and it's, I see it. And I, I just feel in some ways I feel bad because I, I don't think it happens that way. Um, and for me, it was like one of those moments and back in, in my early twenties, my goal. And, and I remember writing it down and I, it was one of those set it and forget it things. Right. I, my goal was to be a college offensive coordinator. I never, specified the level, but I just wanted to be basically a full-time coach, uh, call and play somewhere. And I remember the day, you know, I, w I did one year at BW. I was a quarterback's coach and, um, you know, uh, the, the, the guy who's a coordinator moved on and you know, coach called me in and told me I was promoted. And, and, you know, I think it was later that day I was with some friends at dinner and they're like, well, wow, you, you know, that's great. You know, you're, you're an offensive coordinator now. You know, what's, what's your goal? What do you want to do? And, I, and it came out of my mouth because I had been maybe used to answering it over the years. I'm like, well, I want to be a, a college. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> this is it. This is what I wanted to do. I'm here. And, it, you know, and it, you look back and you're like, wow, look at all those, those years. And I've just worked hard at this. And, uh, and like you said, try to do my absolute best. Um, you get there. When you take that approach, you get there. And it's part of, you know, we mentioned one of the main themes today about just being where you are. And I think for you, uh, the way you've evolved before you and I got going, there's, there's a whole element of just personal excellence and, and a work ethic and routines that you have that I think have, have brought you along the way to this. And, um, you know, and, and I'm sure this for you, this is not necessarily like, okay, this is it. I'm going to retire here. But you're also uh, you're you're not a guy who's on the scoop this morning looking for okay where do I go now? Yeah, correct. I, I think that that's that's all part of it, right? Of being where 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 your feet are, right? And uh, like you said, you just got to change every single day. For me personally, I am trying to be better than I was the day before. I know how cliche that sounds, but that is truthfully who I am. And, and whether it's come from the way I've changed my diet to my sleep habits to how I work out. To the way I game plan, I, I'm as I'm as organized and as detailed in every single 
after every single season, I go, okay, where could I have been better? What, what could I have done better for my players, for my staff? How could I have been better? And, and, and you know, even this past season, you know, the, the first season obviously was last fall, but as a first season as a staff together, I was like, how can I get more out of my assistant coaches? Because truthfully, we were burning, we were burning the midnight oil probably too much because we, we were so young on offense and we were just trying to find a way to get a yard, right? Try to find a way to get that extra yard. And I saw it taking a toll on my coaches. And so literally as we went through this off season, we went through what our weekly schedule is going to look like. And I, I have on our offensive schedule, what time you need to leave the office. I, I said, that this is a non-negotiable. You're going to leave at this time. If you want to go home and do work, that's on you, but I am sending you home to hopefully get some sleep because you know, we, we preach how important sleep and recovery are, but as coaches, we, we don't generally live there. I know that there's a cap on how much work you have to do, and so that sleep does go down a little bit. But, you know, you just kind of notice how how this profession, is, as tough as it can be, can weigh on people. And so for me personally, it's always trying to find, like, my own personal life hacks to get just a little bit more energy, just to get a little bit more time, a little bit more efficiency that I can so that I can be better for my players and my staff and see how I can – be better offensively all that stuff goes into each and every day and I think um it's that growth mindset that 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 makes it kind of fun and and to push your own personal boundaries and see how you can be better is something that's a a consistent challenge and really only one that you know whether you're winning or losing so uh, you know I I love that idea that you know you you got some hacks or things that you've done in in when we were kind of coming up with a a game plan for this episode, I wrote down and, and put in quotations here something you said, which was outwork smartly. Uh, for you, what does that mean, and how do you do it? Yeah, uh, and so I'll, I'll go two parts of it. I'll go from the schematic point, I'll go from just the personal. But the personal the personal one, uh, for me, it's all about eat, sleep, and, and recovery in the way that I, that I pursue my life, like, I changed my diet to only eat certain things and, and just because it was that natural as a coach in the office all day and it was just too many peaks and valleys from an energy standpoint. And I think I changed the way I, I live and eat to, to make sure that I have that consistent energy and that's something that, that I do that's probably a little different and everybody here makes fun of me because they know exactly what I'm going to eat for each meal and it's different times and they, you know it's kind of like a, a robot or something, but whatever, they can poke fun because I feel good about it. But from a schematic standpoint and probably the greatest lesson I learned in year one of calling plays it's having those targets in the game plan um, from base down. Okay, we're going to carry X amount of plays. We're going to carry X amount of runs, X amount of throws, this many RPOs, this many third and, you know, third and three to five calls, this many red zone calls. And it actually pairing that down, and I had an opportunity at the last convention to meet with some of the greatest offensive coordinators in FCS and FBS, just reaching out personally, like, don't know you guys, but, hey, I want to see if I can get better. And I met with some great people and was able to kind of see where their targets were and, and found a number that felt really comfortable for me and one that felt great for our staff. And, and our staff kind of hates it because they have all these great ideas and all this. And then I put them all on paper and I said, all right, got to cut 10 of these passes. What do you not like? And they all look at me and they're all ticked off because they, you know, they have a little bit of personal equity in it. But ultimately the best we played last year and the most success we ever had was when we had the most you know, the most concise game plans and it just helps your players. I think too many times as coaches, we try to find all, all the answers instead of just allowing our players to play fast. So those are kind of the two things, you know, with me individually, but more so from a a professional standpoint is just that organization and and just how 
like concrete those numbers really are like legitimate targets in the game plan in, in different situations so that we can play fast and you can practice them right i mean too many people have so many plays you can't practice them versus look a b and c if you've got a hundred and some plays in the game plan but if you have you know a smaller number then you can actually get it versus all three looks so that when the game comes you're able to actually succeed in that call amen uh you know it's it's funny you bring that up and it's a it's something that comes up with uh the coordinators I have on this podcast, it seems like again and again, and, and I'll ask you what the number is, at least in your mind, but I, it always seems to be dead on within two to three plays that everybody, these guys who have done it for a while and are successful are in the same place. So, um, you know, that base game plan, how many calls go into it? How many do you feel is, the, is that right amount? Yeah, and I, I, you probably know more than me, so we probably got to get back on here and talk about what, what you found out. But uh, from a regular down standpoint, from, from a non-situational standpoint, uh, that targets 40. Uh, it's 15 runs, 25 throws, and within those 15 runs, uh, we try to limit it, limit it to four RPOs, like true RPOs, not just you know throwing a bubble on the backside or something, but truly reading a, a second or third level player. Um, that's been our targets. That's been what we've been successful with, those 25 throws encompass – your movement throws, your screens, your 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 drop back, your three step, all of it, and so that's the that's that regular down target is is no more than forty, and sometimes lower than that, and that's okay. Yeah, uh, I love that idea about being concrete, and I just wrote an article about it the other day. I was focused on uh, some things that Andy Kotelnicki was talking about at, at Buffalo and how he thinks about developing a game plan, and, and I mean, I would recommend to you, Coach. Uh, and really anybody out there to, to check out that article, what he's done, it's on coaching coordinator and, and for you to, to maybe reach out to coach Kotelnicki and, and pick his brain. Cause I think he's uh I think he does it really well at Buffalo. Um, the, the part I put up in that article though, was an old, and I mean, this is could have been eighties or nineties. I'm not sure exactly when hour long video of Brian Billick talking about their, their game planning at, yeah, I've, I've watched it. It's on, it's on YouTube. It's so on I've YouTube. Yeah. And, yeah. and the one thing, and so this this really led to some <clears throat> finding a better way for me when I was coordinating. He talked about their game plan board, and it was a whiteboard. He said, but this is concrete. Like the, the sections of the game plan and the numbers, the slots we have available don't change. We're not going to add more. We have to be concise and be within these numbers. And, you know, I mean, long story short, he had a whole way of getting to those numbers where he studied the previous seasons, and this is how many calls we're going to need in this situation. There's no reason to overplan it. And he was a big guy about, about overage and not having too much. For me, I, I studied that thing up and down, inside and out. And from my days before I started teaching, I was still coaching, but I was, was working uh, – a manufacturing company out of college and was doing production management and everything worked off Excel. So I kind of became this expert in, in using Excel. And so we mm -hmm. made our game plan board in Excel and it was that exact yep. same thing like you did. And the approach with, with our coaching staff was guys, I can't add any more slots. This template is all laid out. When we put it in here, it scripts it out. It scripts the defenses we're going against out. We only have a certain amount of looks that we're going to be able to work each play against this is the reality of what we work with because, you know, ultimately you said it, we have to get those plays ready. We have to get those reps in practice. There's 
only so many reps available. And for, for me, I became so obsessed with it that it would take me, I really put a lot of time, hours. I mean, probably over the course of the week just to script practice eight to 10 hours. I mean, I was really like, all right, how many times do we get this hump? Well, I need it against this look. I need it against that look. And then I put it in Excel and I took away all that, that grind. So I had these, these templates I would use, but it all started with, you know, like Brian Billick's, here's my, my whiteboard. Here's my slots. It doesn't change. It was the same on this Excel sheet. Guys, I can't add any because it messes up the formula. So which, <laughs> which pass is it? Is it this one or is it this one? Which run is it? Is it this one or this one? And I, I'll tell you, like that process alone, when you have to make those decisions early week and you have to have the right reasons why, really gets everybody on the same page because I remember the days when it was, it was kind of looser and you didn't have those things where, you know, especially a young coach, and I'm sure I was in that position myself at one point, my idea didn't get in and I was, you know, you're a little bit uh, disappointed in that. Now, I, I think everybody moves on and, and moves forward together, but like everybody wants that input. I think this is a good way to, to have that because you have not just <clears throat> randomly, ah, I had to cut these so yours is out. We had those discussions. Mm-hmm. Guys, it, it's this slot or it's this slot. Which one really fits for us and why? And, and then, like you said, those concise game plans, it just tightens things up. Um, I think that's so important. Yeah, I think um, something you said that was really important, and this is how we approach the situations. And unfortunately, uh, you know, for me, I don't have a long timeline. I only call plays for a year so far, right? But what, what somebody said, said that I met with was just kind of studying that three- to five-year timeline, you know, whether, whether you pick three or five. And, and for the situations, you know, you take the whole season and you look at how many actual third and eight-plus calls have there been over the last five years in an average game, right? And that should be that game plan target. And so that's kind of how I've approached maybe the third downs in the red zone, uh, you know, the two minutes. And that also is going to help you with your practice script, right? Like last year we were young. We were down in a lot of games. So obviously we had a lot of third and longs and we had a lot of two-minute throw, right? Because we were young and that was probably what I hope to be an anomaly year from a play calling standpoint, just based on how young we really were, right? And I hope as we get this thing going, you get to see what it really looks like, but that, you know, that's kind of how, you know, we, we projected those. All right. Like literally, you know, uh, our quarterback coach is responsible for third and three to five. It's going to be this many calls. All right. This many runs, this many passes. That's how many calls it's going to be. So when he game plans, he, he knows he might throw, you know, he might have a couple more than the, than the, than the limit, but that gives us some, some things that we can talk about, look at, and ultimately trim it down to that final list and, and allow us to play play fast because ultimately it is about practice time. And I was fanatical about studying how many freaking reps are we actually getting in a game week? How many total reps are we getting? Well, with that number, you know what I mean? Then you look at your play number and if it's, it's com- completely different or, you know, way less than the number of plays in your game plan, we have issues. And, yeah. and it was a little bit of that in year one. I think part of that had to do with just being as young as we were and just trying to find a way to have a spark. Um, but I think that was probably the wrong approach in hindsight was, was not, not to do more, but to, to really focus in on what the heck do we do really, really well? What do our guys believe in? And let's go from there. Right. And, and that's kind of, you know, that, that, that hard lesson learned, but you know, that's what life's about lessons. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important thing you got to remember as, 
as a coordinator too is um you know these these weeks these game weeks don't exist in a, in a vacuum that there's all the work you did in, in you know college level in, in some high schools in spring summer um camp all those things you know over the course of the season just the cumulative effect of those reps and i, I mean i can remember a particular year for me where I went back at the end of the year and we had adjusted so many things that I couldn't find. Like when you say, Hey, what, what's your base? What do you guys do? I couldn't find it. Couldn't find our base plays. Couldn't find our base runs. And you know, and then I looked at the success, especially against the opponents. We, who were the toughest ones and, and, you know, games where we didn't compete like we wanted to, that we had issues. So you, you have to remember that, you know, trying to get as much carryover same as is so important to the players. And I think that's, you know, something you've mentioned about the way you do things unique to you. I think one of those groups who needs the most consistency are those guys up front that you have to build things with those guys in mind. And that's the approach that you take when you take a look at how you put together an offense. Talk to us a little bit about your philosophy on making the O-line first. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I had at Penn State, I, I was working on the defensive side of the ball. Actually, I was working with the defensive line and coach uh, Larry Johnson, who's a, one of the greatest coaches in this profession, in my opinion. Obviously, I had an opportunity to get a win last week for, for the Buckeyes. But, um, you know, I went from there to going to Northwestern. And, you know, I, I've been around defense, played defense in high school. And all of a sudden, I was with the offense. I'm like, what the heck is going on? But kind of fell in love with it, the, the scoring points and 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 just being able to dictate how the how the game goes and had the the luxury of getting moved specifically with the offensive line and, and working with Coach Cushing at the time as as an assistant coach right I was his QC and graduate assistant and I don't believe that there's a greater position in all of sports than the offensive line that's I, I would tell that to our team I would tell that to our quarterback as much as he wants to hear differently I, I don't believe that there's a greater position in any sport than the offensive line and why do I say that just because the five individuals working together truly dictate wins and losses. I don't, I don't think they're obviously you need a quarterback that can do something, right? You can't just can't throw whoever out there, but if your own line can play well and play together and your own line can play with confidence, you got a chance each and every week. And I think going to Toledo and working around coach Manning and coach and, 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 and coach Campbell working around those two who are offensive line guys, I got to see another perspective of how to coach this thing. And what I learned from Tom Manning was just how simple some of the protection stuff was and how he always tried to simplify it and, and put those guys in great looks. And, and it was kind of like he dumbed it down all the things that you see. I've watched a million you know, clinics from NFL guys and there's all sorts of protections. They're carrying all this stuff. And his rules really were just almost like, like you can't actually they can't be this simple can they like can they really be this simple and, and obviously because when you look at offensive line play it's not about the, the the difficulty of the scheme like you have a simple protection you still got to block a dude that's more athletic than you <laughs> like at its at its at its at the end you're gonna block somebody who can run a freaking four six to a four eight when you can't even crack five and has freakish length and all that if you're thinking about the protection or you're thinking about the scheme, you don't have a chance. You got to have confidence in the scheme so that you can have confidence in your fundamentals. So what 
everything we do, when I look at it, I look at, okay, how many run schemes are we carrying in this game? How, where's our protection going? What, why are we doing the protection this way? How can we make it easier on those guys? Where, where can we help them in play action? And because if you don't have that, you don't have confidence up front, whether you're young, old, anywhere in between, really, really you got no chance. And, and that's also why, you know, we're, we're a look-based offense and, and trying to maybe not always get us in the perfect look, but I, but I damn sure better get us away from that really bad look. <laughs> they got six guys up or they got cover zero or this, and I'm asking us to run this play. No asking some strange front for us to block it this way, you know, give them something easy that they can fall back on, know their responsibility and have success doing it. And that's really where we start from a game planning perspective to how we base out our camps is, is, you know, how many run schemes are we carrying? How are we doing it? What looks are we doing? Let's minimize the looks So it's not this versus this, this versus this, because too many times, you know, coaches want to run this play out of this formation, this and this out of this formation. Well, to the old line, that's, three different plays and I know you don't think it is as the receiver coach or the quarterback coach but literally the box is so distinct that it's three different communications how can we make this easier on them how can we dumb down that look so that they don't have so many calls going into a game and and I already know your answer to this question but I I think this is a, a conversation worth having uh you know we're we're in a day where uh, you know branding is so important and um you know, the, the question is, what kind of offense do you run? Now, that being said, uh, you know, I think there's very few offenses who, that are distinctly something today. I think one is being the air raid, but when you talk to air raid guys, there's really only Mike Leach running the air raid at, at, at the you know, major college level. Uh, I mean, you could talk to flexbone guys, but then I, I believe there's the different branches of the flexbone so it's like very hard to me to be able to brand and, and put your offense in a box but how do you answer that question coach yeah we talked about it before i think it's the most uh, the question you get everywhere whether you're in a high school recruiting or a clinic or, or whatever even just some average show on the streets can ask you that question and, and i respond with, with something that i took from that that mount union tree uh really who are we it's players formations place it's players, formations, plays, and, and really finding a way to, to put your, your best players in situations to succeed. That's what that, that encompasses. So I think if you ask me who our offense is, I'd ask you what year is it? What year was it? Who do we have? We have two stud tailbacks. Was the year we had two great receivers? Was it when we had a gunslinger quarterback? When we had the greatest O line in, in, in the conference? What year was it? And, and, and I can tell you kind of maybe what we did schematically, but who we were will always be players formation plays. And I think what's more important than what you do is how you do it. Right. It's not necessarily, Oh, we're an RPO based offense. that does this, this, and this run stretch. And the, no, it's way more important that I hope when somebody watched my offense, that they would come out and say, man, those guys play smart and they play hard. They play smart and they play hard. And I think the how is so much more important than what the heck we're doing. Right. I think, you know, you draw it up. If you draw zone read up against the defense, quarterback reads it the right way, running back makes one guy miss, it should score every single play on the board, right? That's football 101, right? You got enough to block and, and read and make one miss from the tailback, it should score every play. Well, it doesn't score every play. Why? Because of how you're doing it and who's doing it, right? And, and I think that it's so much more important that, you know, Years and years from now, I hope people would say, oh, man, that, that, that Coach Cruz's guys play freaking hard, 
and they play smart, man. They play hard and they play smart. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's about how you do it. And a lot of that happens, you know, at the college level, mon Monday through Friday. Uh, it's about how you practice. You know, I, I had uh, the, the opportunity to go out to Mississippi State's practice just this past um, August. I guess it was August or, yeah, it was, it was August, late August. They were practicing, getting ready for the season. And, you know, I know the air raid playbook. Everybody knows what, you know, Mike Leach runs. And, you know, he's got it on that little card, so it's not a lot. But, man, you go out to practice and watch how they do it, and, and there's a specific way that it's done. It, it, and as you said, it's about how we do it. When you look at um, that aspect of it, how we do it, what things do you, do you feel stick out for you, again, that are kind of uniquely – uh, you and, and your coaching staff and your team in, in the how we do it part. Yeah, I think the biggest thing we talk about all the time uh, is just over-communicating clarity. That's um, something that we talk about all the time, over-communicating clarity. And, and what does that mean? It's just, it just making sure that our players know to the nth degree of what the coaching point is, what the play is trying to accomplish, and doing it succinctly, you know, it's not coaching the line. It's not giving them 30 words on the field. No, it's giving them a three word burst for what you want that fundamental to be. You know what I mean? Reach to torque or you want it to be, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, having those three word bursts, you can be concise. The players know exactly what the main thing is, what you're trying to accomplish. And then always being, being, you know, over communicating is something that I think was, even even another great lesson I learned in year one was just that relationship with the quarterback. I, I truthfully, I meet with the quarterbacks after every practice and say, hey, wh what did you like? What did you not like? Maybe a couple things that, hey, the scout team ran the wrong look. Here's what we're really looking for in this look. And I have the quarterbacks, uh, you know, really give me the call sheet and they highlight for me, here's my favorite third down and, and long call. Here's my favorite third medium call is my favorite red zone call. And those are the first ones I'm calling because I'm not throwing the ball out there. I'm not handing the ball off. I'm not reading, reading some freak show at the end. Right. And I think that comes with the communication portion of it. Uh, and just being able to a little bit check your ego as a, as a coach. Right. I think, <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we think we have all the answers. Well, ultimately the guys have to perform it and you want them to have confidence in it and you want them to know where you're going to go with the call. Right. The first, fourth down in the red zone, here's what we're calling. This is the play we're calling when the game is on the line. How are you going to execute it versus this, this, and this? And I think it just keeps coming back into over-communicating over clarity. I think that, uh, you know, obviously I stole that from a, from a coach. Every, everything that we hear great is, is stolen, but uh, it really is what we talk about when we talk about the game plan, we talk about how we're practicing, drill work, all of it. How can we just be – clear and concise and make sure that the players are, are confident in the fundamental or the, or the scheme. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, I had a, a great conversation on this podcast with uh, Andrew Coverdale, who, you know, he's at Trinity in Louisville and I think he just won his 13th state championship. He's at uh, St. X now here in Ohio. And one of the things he talked about with his quarterback was his, you know, their, their little drill they would do every, uh, like Thursday, the the like it, love it list for the quarterback, right? And, and really basing it on that. And I remember taking that from him. 
years ago and was just always part of it because exactly like you said, like I'm not, I don't have to go out there <laughs> and dissect the defense and throw these routes. He does. And while I might think this is the, the perfect call for there, uh, if, if there's something he likes better and feels more confident about and, and I feel okay that that's a, a good call in that situation, something you have to, to pay attention to because you know we game plan these things in the office, draw them up on the board, work them out during the week, but then we got to throw our guy out there and he's got to do the job. So I think that's an important aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, yeah, you, you have to know. One, they have to know, especially if you're a look-based offense, and I, I check with me offense, they have to know why you're changing a call to this call, right? Why, why, why am I calling this big shot here? Because, oh, we got the coverage show that we, we expected, right? It, or, you know, what, what is that, 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 that critical situation call? Like, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's hard enough on fourth down in the red zone when people are going to put your face off. To, to be thinking about what the call is going to be rather than, okay, let me look at, all right, where's my matchup or, or what, where's the protection getting checked to what that might be uh, instead of knowing, Hey, we're going to call this play. And, and I think uh, it came from a really bad lesson. Truthfully, um, uh, last year, the quarterback threw a pick, came off, got on the headset with me. And I said, what, what, what are you, what were you doing in so many words? Why would you even, why would you ever even think to throw there? And he, and he said, distinctly i'll never forget it on the headset i didn't like that play call and i'm sitting there i'm like we're in a game and you you know we practiced it this week and you know us as coaches felt like it was great but you you didn't like it like it, that was a great learning point from him and for me to to really make sure from that point on we met daily and said okay what do you like and what do you not like and sometimes they're going to tell you they don't like the play because of course the scout team ran the wrong defense or the freaking snap was bad or the running back did the wrong thing. And there's times you're going to have discussions say, Hey, stick with it. Let's get another look at it tomorrow. And then there's other times where oh, I really don't like that. Okay, cool. And I delete it right there from the game plan. Boom, gone. And, and, you know, coach asked why, why is that play gone? Well, because the quarterback didn't like it. So mm-hmm. next <laughs> yeah. we got enough good plays on here. Let's find the one he likes. I think that's yeah. really important. That communication standpoint from the, from, from the coordinator to the quarterback, I think is critical. Absolutely. Coach, I mean, you've, you've brought up a lot of great things already in this episode, but uh, final question is the same as it always is. You know, when you look at all the things that you do as a coach, what's one thing you would really point to as giving your players, your unit, uh, you know, your side of the ball, including your staff, the winning edge? Yeah, I, I think kind of what I alluded to earlier uh, it's all about relationships. That's what this, that's what this, this profession and this job is all about and, and making these young men better, making them better people, making them better students, better players, all of it. How can I pour into my players to make them better? And, and if that you can't fabricate it, you can't make the relationship in, in, in a week. It comes through consistent effort over time, consistent effort to, to build that relationship, to, to find a way to spend time with them outside of the practice field. And I think that's what people and players that play for me would tell you. I think that, that it's just being, being there for them and finding what makes them tick individually. And you can only find what gets the best out of your players, how to coach them the right way by, by just spending time with them and getting to know who they are as people and who they are 
through the struggles in the weight room and, and sprints and struggles of fall, fall practice, all of that. Um, but you just have to have a conscious effort towards always building that relationship and putting those relationships first, because that's, what's going to get the most out of that player on, on fourth and one. And that's, what's going to get the most out of that player, you know, as they walk across the stage, getting their diploma and going on to the future to be a husband, to be a father and all of that. And, and that's, that's what I think is most important to me and what makes this staff different here is just, uh, you know, the genuine care to, to make our young men better, better people, um, you know, for the long term. And I think the, the wins, as I hope, will, will start taking care of themselves eventually because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe they will. I've, I've had, uh, you know, the unique opportunity to talk with a few of your guys on, on your coaching staff now and, I was texting with Coach Cushing the other day and said, man, you guys got a great staff together. I've watched this this clinic at Illinois. I've talked to some of your guys, and I'm really impressed. You guys definitely are going in the right direction just based on the people you have. So, you know, I wish you guys, the Panthers, the, the best of luck. Um, before we let you go, Coach, I uh, just want to make sure you share your recruiting area uh, in case there's guys out there who – uh, maybe have somebody for you who um, will fit into uh, into your program and uh, your contact for them. Yep, for sure. Uh, recruiting area, I've got the Catholic League in Chicago. Uh, I have uh, basically half of St. Louis and then all of Kansas City. And then obviously I kind of I watch every single offensive prospect that, that gets to that offer level grade. So I have a little bit more than I, than I want at times. But um that's my recruiting area individually. And then best contact Twitter, it's at coach and then underscore and then Coos, which is K-U-Z. So at Coach Coos uh, with an underscore between Coach and Coos. So. Coach, I, I really appreciate your time. And we'll have to uh, maybe have you back on here and dig specifically into some of these offensive topics in the future. Heck yeah, that'd be great. I really appreciate it. And appreciate the content. It's, it's unbelievable. And some, some things just from this conversation, I'm going to go and seek out to, to try to make myself a little bit better. So I appreciate you. Thank you again for listening to the coaching coordinator podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the coaching coordinator podcast. That's at coach and coordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.